We believe that not just babies are born, mothers are born too. We're your hosts, Lara, a labor and delivery nurse and aspiring midwife, and Melissa, a mother and doula. Welcome to Mother Birth, a space for thought-provoking and inspirational conversations about birth and the deep exploration of what it means to become a mother. subscribe to the show or how to leave a review in iTunes. Since these are the things that help the show grow the most, we'd love for you to take the time to do those things. We've created a special page on our website, and if you go to the homepage or the podcast page, you'll see a how to subscribe link, which will take you to an instructional page that shows you how to subscribe in any podcast app and how to leave a review. Thanks, guys. This week's guest experienced years of infertility before finally and unexpectedly getting pregnant. She shares what it was like to navigate pregnancy and birth after years of thinking that it might not happen and facing the survivor's guilt of finally being pregnant when it hadn't happened for so many people she knew. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. We've got a special guest here today with Laura and I. Um, Rebecca Nicodemus is down in L.A., and she's joining us today to tell her, her story of birth and postpartum period and all of the events leading up to her pregnancy. Um, Rebecca, why don't you tell us a little about yourself, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. Um, hi. Thank you for having me. I should mention I'm actually in Seattle now. I was in oh. Los Angeles when my son was born. We moved when he was oh, about six months old. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I um, have one child. He's a year and... I guess three months old now, and um, he came after almost five years of infertility. So that's definitely a big part of my story. Um, yeah. And yeah, I that's that's me. I'm married. I have um, I work in public relations, so I am a, a full time working mom as well. Okay. Well, we'd love to hear more about the infertility part of your journey. You want to tell us how that started and some of those details? Yeah, yeah. So my husband and I got married um, really young. Uh, I was 21. So we were married for a number of years before we even decided that we wanted to have a child. Mm -hmm. Um, We kind of went back and forth on it. You know, we were just, we were in our early 20s and it just wasn't real high on our, you know, priorities list right away. Um, so, um, you know, my husband was in the military when we got married and then he went, got out and went to, to school. And so when he was finishing his degree, we were finally like, okay, let's, let's give this a try. Um, and so we decided to take the plunge and, um, I'd gone off birth control. I don't know. i maybe a year or so before then, um, and just been using natural family planning. And so I already had a pretty good idea of like when I ovulated and all of that. And we started trying in January of 2011 and nothing happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I talked to my OB when we were maybe six months in and she was like, Oh, you know, just keep trying nothing to worry about. Um, and so we did. And I just, I was pretty certain something was not right. Mm. Uh, it just, yeah, it, I, I just sensed that, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. Like it wasn't just a matter of give it another month, you know? Yeah. Um, and 
I'd been, um, since I'd been charting my cycles for a long time, I knew that my luteal phase, the, the time after between ovulation and your period, was a little short. Um, it was often like nine or 10 days. And I'd brought that up and the OB said, oh, you know, it's, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, so yeah, we just kind of went along during that time, that first year, we actually moved from the San Francisco area to LA. So we had a lot going on and, you know, it just sort of took a back seat. And finally, um, I guess like maybe a year into it, we went ahead and did get, you know, some basic testing done and everything came back mostly okay. There wasn't a really clear, like here, this is the thing that's wrong, Um, and I talked to my new OB and I, you know, I again brought up the, the concern about my, my luteal phase being short and, um, she said, okay, well, why don't we give you a prescription for progesterone and you can take it after, um, after ovulation and see if that helps. And this was, I guess, June of 2012. So we've been trying about a year and a half and, um, I gave it a try and that first cycle I got pregnant mm. um, and I found out it was this date will forever stick with me because it was June 17th which was my husband's birthday and it was also Father's Day that year mm. so it was just perfect right like okay ever this is why it took a while it just this was the right time yeah. <laughs> you know um, and gosh, like two or three days after I got the positive test, I started spotting. Um, and, you know, called my doctor, went in, they did a blood test. Um, and I think, I think my HCG level was like 17. And so it was like, well, you know, we'll, we'll test again and see that is really low. Like maybe it's just earlier than we think, but, um, Mm. you know, it wasn't looking good. And then, yeah, you know, I started bleeding more heavily and, and that was it. Um, so it was a weird time because it was just, I mean, it was all within the space of a week. So like, it was hard to even know how to process that. Um, because it, it just, you know, I, I, it's still weird for me to talk about because it seems almost dramatic to call that a miscarriage, you know, because mm-hmm. it's just, you know, four days. <laughs> I knew I was pregnant for four days. Um, but, but you, you know, still have, I mean, especially that you, since you guys had been trying for quite some time, like that was the mm-hmm. moment where you felt like this is going to happen. This yeah, is real. Hope, right. hope there. Yeah. Totally. I mean, you know, like even in those first couple of days, you already have this, you know, you've thought mm-hmm. <laughs> 10 years ahead already. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was hard. And my, my husband definitely processed it differently than I did because for him it was so abstract, you know, like just, yeah, it was, so he was a little sad, but it just wasn't the same magnitude um, mm-hmm. as it was for me. Yeah. And you know, the, all that said, it was sort of a hopeful moment because I was like, okay, well, I know I can get pregnant. Um, and, you know, so it's just, just a matter of time. Like maybe it was just the progesterone and, and things will be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just didn't happen again. Um, and months went by and um, I think 
finally in October of that year. So we've been trying almost two years. Um, I finally went to an actual fertility specialist and we did all the tests under the sun. Um, and still there wasn't anything clear. Yeah. No, it was just a matter of like, maybe this level's a little off, but it's not enough to explain anything. Mm. Um, so that, that winter was, a really, really dark period for me. Um, it was just, I don't know. I, I remember having these moments where I just couldn't cope with little things. Mm. Um, there's one specific, I, we were living in an apartment complex in LA and we had underground parking and the parking space was kind of tight. And I remember this one time somebody's car was parked a little funky and I just couldn't get my car into the parking space and I just lost it like I was just sobbing in the car so upset and I'm you know I'm pretty I'm a pretty even keeled person I that's just not me yeah yeah um but I was just at this point where I just like little things just felt like too much um so you know I eventually went to see um, a psychologist for a couple of months and she was really helpful. And I think just talking through all the things, because I, I should mention, like we weren't, we weren't talking with people about this. Like our families didn't know what was going on. Um, there were a couple of friends who knew, but none of them really knew what to say or do. Um, so they, you know, they, they were as supportive as they knew how to be, but it's just, a hard thing to understand yeah um do you wish that you had been more open about it during that time or did it feel like the right thing to do I don't know I part of me wishes um I mean I actually I, I probably will have to now but I've never told my mom about the miscarriage mm -hmm. like because I always thought oh when I get pregnant again I'll tell her yeah <laughs> you know? and it took so long that by the time I did it just didn't yeah. um so yeah, I, I do think that having a little su more support might have been helpful, but it just, it felt so raw and personal that mm -hmm. um, it just felt like exposing this part of myself that, I don't know, it just felt raw. I, I don't know a better way to put it. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, counseling helped. Um she, you know, it was just really validating and, you know, it's because I, like I said, you know, I felt so almost silly about feeling so deeply about this loss when it was, you know, such a quick thing. Um, and so she was really, really helpful in sort of validating that and helping me work through that. Um, and then during that same time, we started fertility treatments and um, that is its own roller coaster mm -hmm. um, you know you get hopped up on hormones and that affects your moods and you know I gained weight and um and it's just this it just magnifies that like hope and disappointment cycle mm -hmm. uh, because you're spending all this money and I mean I learned to give myself shots and so I'm you know doing injections and um, you know, ultrasounds, like there were weeks when they were, you know, tracking the days leading up to ovulation and, you know, checking on follicle development and everything where I'd have 
three or four internal ultrasounds a week, hmm. you know, like, yeah. I, it's just a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's invasive and, and through it all, you have this hope that like, we're doing all this and it's going to be worth it. Um, and we ultimately did, I think we did one cycle that was just using Clomid, which is a, a fertility medication. And then we did four, um, interuterine inseminations, IUI, which is, mm-hmm. um, basically the turkey baster method. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think one of those was with Clomid and the other three were with um, injectable medications. Mm. And none of it worked. Um, so we decided to just, you know, we'd, we'd had enough. We had, thankfully, we had health insurance that covered some treatments, which is actually pretty rare. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, but our insurance at the time, I think it covered you know, the normal rate, which is like, you know, 90% was covered up to a cap of $10,000. And $10,000 goes fast. (laughs) So um, by the time we finished that fourth IUI, um, we were, we were out of of insurance coverage. Yeah, you're basically at the craps table. And yeah, (laughs) it does go fast. Yeah, totally. Um, So yeah, that was, I mean, I think we did our last IUI in fall of, I think it was 2013. Mm-hmm. And then we just stopped, you know, we, 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 we were still trying, you know, it wasn't, I, I feel like I need to clarify this because, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, you're just trying too hard, just relax. And I, it wasn't that, you know, mm-hmm. like it just, the way I look at it is, um, you know, like you said, the craps table, it's, it's actually exactly how I usually um, describe it. Like most people, when they're trying to get pregnant, they have, you know, you have your dice, right? And most of the people have a four-sided die or a six-sided die. And we had a 20-sided die or a 50-sided die. Yeah. Um, and so we just kept rolling. And um, by summer or spring of 2015, we were sort of, you know, I was 30. Three and I was like, well, you know, if we're going to try IVF, because that was all that was left to us at that point, mm-hmm. um, we need to do it now. You know, I, I, I don't want to wait um, any longer and, you know, reduce our chances further by getting older. Yeah. And so we, you know, I, I'd called a, a clinic and, you know, had talked about getting in for, um, a consultation and um you know we were just we were still trying to decide because it's a lot of money you know it's 10 20 30 thousand dollars um and we've been out of the pocket and it's you know it's a, it's a big decision and yeah. and there's all these just complicated ethical decisions with it you know because you have you might end up with 20 embryos that you have frozen and then if you don't use them what do you do with them? And it, there's just a lot. Um, so we we were, even with all that, we were edging towards um, giving it a try. And then in May of 2015, I, it, it was so funny. I had a dentist appointment and 
my period was one day late. <laughs> hmm. I was like, well, I guess I should test to just, you know, they're going to do x-rays just in case. Um, and I had to go out and buy a test, which was even that was unusual because it used to be that I always had a stockpile of them. Right. But I just, you know, it had been so long since I'd even hoped mm-hmm. <laughs> have one. And so I woke my husband up and I was like, ah, I'm going to go to the store and get this. And it's dumb, but I'll just check. Yeah. <laughs> and it was positive. Wow. And uh, yeah, <laughs> it was pretty shocking. And I called the uh, fertility clinic where we've been seen and went in and got a blood test and it came back positive, but in the lower, the lower end of things. Um, so, you know, we gave it a couple days and the numbers were great the second time. And how was that? So, so had you been trying actively? Were you like at that time still tracking your cycle and having sex at no, I mean, times? I, we've been doing it for so long that I always kind of knew, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and so, but we weren't like super actively like making a point of always trying to make it happen every month. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a bit of a surprise in the best possible way. <laughs> yeah. Well, and this was right when you're deciding to possibly do IVF, which yeah. would that have been in the very near future at that point? Um, yeah. I mean, we were, I was so, we actually, we had a, a big vacation planned that summer. We were going to go to Switzerland and hike the Alps. Um, and so I was kind of thinking, all right, we'll do that vacation and then we'll, we'll move forward with IVF. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of the timeline I had in mind. Um, so we were, yeah, a couple months out from it, but moving in that direction at least. Mm-hmm. What was, how did this all affect your relationship with your husband? Just this, this long period of, you yeah. know, that cycle of, like you said, of hope and disappointment and, you know, right. the, just being unable to cope with the little things in life and all of that. Yeah, um, it was hard. You know, we've always had a good relationship, um, but it was it was definitely a challenging period. I will say that the first year with a newborn was harder. Sure. <laughs> Why do you say that? <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it was it was just it's a lot of stress, and you know, there were these times when I processed things differently than he did, and. Um, you know, I think I probably even had a little more support than he did because I did have a couple of girlfriends I talked to mm-hmm. and he actually, over time, like we, you know, as you go through this, like you kind of start to suss out the other people who, who might be going through it too. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think we both kind of ended up with a few people here and there that kind of got it, um, but yeah, it was it was challenging for sure. Yeah, and I think like you were saying too, that support can look really different. You mentioned a couple of phrases like just keep trying or like you're trying too hard or yeah. I think right, that, you right. know, one of the things in, in this idea of like who do we include in, into this struggle is you kinda open yourself up to that as well. Like people who either mm-hmm. do get it or don't get it. Yeah. Or right. Or who, 
yeah, maybe just, I guess, like, at that point, you're like, I'm actually an expert now. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm actually really good at fertility. I just can't, I right. just personally cannot get pregnant. Right. I, I'm sure that I yeah. know more than you about this. Exactly. And I, I have actually tried all of the things, you know, and I think that that can be really, that can oh. be, you know, isolating or frustrating or, all, like you said, kind of all the feelings when you kind mm-hmm. of raise up against people who are either in the beginning of that process or maybe you have had a really short infertility process right and people yeah. i'm sure you i've you know i've had this kind of stuff too but i'm sure you've had moments where people are like have you tried having sex <laughs> have you tried having sex like at the start of your ovulation window or you know it's right. like of course right. of course we've tried yeah, that no, like, we've, we've tried all that <laughs> you're like do you want to know about my mucus <laughs> i know a lot about my mucus <laughs> yeah. exactly yeah. i think yeah it can be yeah. it can be helpful like you said to kind of like kind of feel people out and then you can be seen a little bit but I do know for friends that I've had that have struggled it has been a little bit different different for their partner whether you know it's a male partner or not that Mm -hmm. the struggle is different outside outside of their body in a different way and then also I think you know just harder to talk about in circles Mm -hmm. you know and it's and people are wild cards you don't you never know who's going to be able to show up for you you know the people that you think a friend that you might think is going to be really great to talk to ends up being one of those people that's dismissive and, you know, or gives you like trite advice. And then perhaps someone you meet just randomly could be the best possible support that you could imagine having and just out of the blue. Yeah, totally. And I think, um, I mean, for me, like, like I think so many people these days, um, I found a lot of support online. Yeah. Um, because that's that's where you can find people who are going through the exact same thing you're going through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so there were definitely you know friends that that I made that way um, through message boards and that sort of thing who you know got it, um, which is huge. Yeah, um, but even, you know it's like there's this it's it's such a weird thing the way it isolates you because even when you're even when you find somebody who's in it, you know, and then, and they get pregnant and you're legitimately happy for them, like so happy for them, but (laughs) they're like, they're not in the group anymore. You know, they're not, they've moved on. Um, and I think, you know, now coming from the other side myself, like, I mean, both my husband and I are very aware that there's this almost, there's a little bit of survivor's guilt. Sure. You know, because we do know people for whom it, it still hasn't happened and it may never. Yeah. Um, and I think it's the may never part that can be really hard for people who aren't going through it to understand because everybody's heard so many stories of people who eventually got pregnant. I mean, I eventually got pregnant, but yeah. when you're in it, you don't know. You don't know how that story is going to end mm-hmm. because for some people it never happens and you have no way of knowing if you're going to be one of those people or not. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's a hard part because a lot of people don't, don't seem aware <laughs> that like, you know, it, it really might not happen. And so, you know, things that people say that they really mean well, you know, they're like, you know, I, I know what's going to happen for you, you know, just at the right time it'll happen. And, and, you know, sometimes that's a little bit encouraging, but as time goes on, it becomes a little more like, you know, no, you don't know. Right. Um, I will say that one of the things my therapist said to me that I found really um, helpful, and I, 
I bristled a little bit when she said it, but then it ended up being an encouraging thing. She was like, she didn't say, you know, it'll happen for you eventually. What she said was, if you two really want to be parents, you can be parents. Hmm. You know, there are other avenues. There's, you know, obviously adoption and surrogacy and all these other steps. And like, that to me felt empowering because it was like, okay, I'm making the decision of how far to pursue fertility treatments and Mm -hmm. whether to uh, pursue adoption and whether to pursue, you know, any number of other things. Yeah. yeah. Uh, That felt a little bit like having a little bit of control. Yes. um, Which was helpful. Yeah. You're, you're just completely along for the ride as far as your body goes and to feel like there's this, there's this one piece that you can, and maybe control is, not quite the right word because there are so many variables with surrogacy and adoption too, but it's, it's mm-hmm. like you said, you have a choice. Like I, yeah. I, I can choose when the end of this road is and I can choose when we like, you know, open up to right. another path. Yeah, exactly. And I think those decisions, like you were talking about going from doing the, I like doing IUI and then when should we do IVF? Mm-hmm. Those decisions are really difficult to make Yeah, as far as kind of that same journey focus where you're like, okay, we'll try, we'll try just, you know, the good old fashioned way. And then, you know, it takes time for doctors to even want to interfere, which is, you know, for the best. But then it's like, after that time passes, you choose to do this and then you choose to do that. And then, you know, as you're talking about preparing for IVF, you weigh those options for your family and um, for you personally. And, you know, that would be the next step if, if like what your therapist had said was, you know, if these, if you do all of these interventions and you're not parents that way, you can choose to be parents in a different way. And I think right. those decisions can be really difficult. Yeah. And to, how do you, how do you decide when you stop trying or how, you know, yeah. all those right. kinds of things. And um, I think that it is, like you said, it's deeply personal. Yeah, definitely. Um, and there's, yeah, there isn't one answer Mm-hmm. that works for everyone. Um, and, and one thing I learned was just, you know, never say never. <laughs> like, because when we first started trying, I remember saying things like, you know, we'll, we'll try. And if it doesn't work for us, you know, that'll just be a sign. Like, <laughs> that we're not supposed to have kids. Um, which, you know, when it, when it came down to it, when I was actually faced with the possibility of not having a child, like, it, it was nowhere near as simple as like, well, I guess it's not meant to be. Right. Um, you know, and kind of every step along the way, I remember thinking like, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not going to do injectables. Like, I hate needles. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give myself shots, mm. <laughs> you know. Um, and then that was the next step. And I was like, okay, you know, we'll do it. Um, and IVF, you know, was the same part, aside from the huge amounts of money involved, part of the reason it took us so long to kind of even get to where we were considering that was, you know, it's, I'd for so long thought like, no, I'm I'm not going to go there. It's too invasive. It's too expensive. Like if we're Mm going to spend that money, maybe we should just adopt, you know, like there's just, and yeah, when it actually came to it, like that was a road I was, you know, willing to consider going down. And so you just never know until you're in it yeah. what what's going to make sense for you and, and your family. Yeah, and 
I just want to go back to to the support piece. Like I think so much of it comes down to just how we're not used to talking about this kind of stuff in our culture. And so you get this, these mm-hmm. sort of divergent, like you mentioned, you know, you have to go online to find community that can be supportive. And, and I'm not suggesting that those online communities aren't amazing because they are. Right. But a lot of times we do that because we aren't getting the support that we need in our personal lives. And, you know, our circles, we either don't feel comfortable or we've tried to, you know, open up and people have shut us down or, or, mm-hmm. you know, just haven't responded in a way that's like healing or helpful at all. And so we end yeah. up, you know, having to choose these different avenues for support. And then, you know, those avenues become like increasingly and increasingly hyper-focused. So like you said, like you can find a support group for not just people with infertility, but people that have tried Clomid once and, you know, like right, injectables right. three times. And then like <laughs> yeah. once you've done injectables four times, you're not part of the group anymore. It's like, yeah. you know, and that's like, it's it's good that we can find these communities that mm-hmm. where people are so much like us, but it also it kind of amplifies that experience of like, I can, you know, I have to like be with these people that have this exact same experience as I do in life. And like you said, once someone's pregnant, like, you know, now they don't know how to talk to us and we don't know how to talk to them. And I think that we're just like, we're just kind of creating, we're we're making these issues deeper in our culture where we don't know how to talk and we don't know how to support each other because we're constantly like, you know, we're just the, um, you know, we're constantly splitting off into like, you know, our, our little tiny corner with, you know, the people that, that get us and that we get. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's hard to, to be the one that, you know, like you said, now you're pregnant and obviously now you have a child, but at that time, now you're pregnant. Like, how do we be the ones that, that on the other side, which is the side where you have the guilt and you Uh feel like, you know, oh crap, I'm leaving all these people behind. How do we not do that? And, and I don't know what the answer is. I think it's just built into, to our culture and how we how we handle like these these hard things yeah and it, yeah and I think oh true. go ahead sorry I was just gonna say I um I should I should give credit where credit is due I have one of the people who was most supportive to me is a friend of mine who um when we started trying she didn't have children but she ultimately um did have a child during our infertility journey and you know she she didn't have any trouble getting pregnant like you know she of course has her own life and her own challenges but but they're different than mine um but she was someone who was you know really really supportive and you know I'm chances are there are times that she didn't think she knew the right things to say um but she was just always there and always listened and you know it was she was a a really supportive and and grounding presence in my life through all of that yeah I think that you know something you had mentioned was like how do you have your friend get pregnant and be sad for yourself while equally or more being happy for her Mm -hmm. how do you how do you share that space Um, I think, you know, obviously you share it as an individual because it's in your body and in your heart. But I think it's also important that you can be able to share that with those kinds of friends, too. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't have to be at her baby announcement party or whatever. But it's definitely (laughs) it definitely can be in a conversation. I think about this in my own life with a different example. I um, got divorced a few years ago. And while my marriage was falling apart, one of my best friends was falling in love and getting married. And Mm -hmm. there was this kind of 
you know, very like dichotomizing experience where I would never want her to doubt her love or her experience because mine was in a really dark place. But it ended up being a really beautiful thing for Mm -hmm. our friendship because we were both able to be that for each other. Like I was Mm -hmm. as excited for her to get married and start a life. And, you know, I believe in marriage just because mine was falling apart didn't mean that I lost that, lost that belief for her. Yeah. And it really kind of showed me in my own life. And I think I see this a lot with pregnancy, whether that's loss, you know, and the miscarriage or like with Melissa and stillbirth, she can still be excited for people having Mm -hmm. babies. And I think that we, you know, I, I identify that as something that's very, very beautiful about women. Because I think women have this special ability to do that, to kind of hold those spaces for each yeah. other. But I yeah, think that- and then there were, I, I will freely admit, there were times that I just had to, to step away, you know. Yeah. Obviously, like, there were close friends who I was joyful for and was, you know, made myself be there, even when it was painful. Yeah. Um, but there were times, you know, there... There were a lot of people on my Facebook feed who were hidden (laughs) because sometimes I just wasn't in a place where I could look at pregnant bellies and babies. And, you know, there was and so it was a balance. It was a a challenge to find the balance between, you know, self-care and not torturing myself. Um, But, yeah, finding finding ways to still be sharing other people's joy. Yeah, it's it's all about that balance. Like you have to be able to, you know, like be open and still in relationship with people and also just know when like this is too much. I can't do this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and I mean, and, going back. To, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say and not feel guilty about it. Yeah. Um, going back to the, the sort of survivor's guilt thing. I mean, I'm I still every time I post a photo of my kid, <laughs> like I'm still sure. I'm just aware. I know that there are people who probably have a hard time. Um, and so I think both my husband and I have been, we probably don't post quite as many photos <laughs> on Facebook as a lot of parents. Um, sure. Because we just, we're just so aware that that, how painful it can be. Um, yeah. You can't undo that awareness. It's, right, it's right. built in now. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, to be clear, like, of course, I don't think there's anything wrong with people sharing that kind of thing a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just personally, I'm, I remember um, how hard it was for me. And, and I do know that I have friends who are still currently struggling. And um, so I just, I'm aware. Um, it's always, always in my head somewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit more too about having you know, having a baby and what that was like for you yeah. staying pregnant and being pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so after all that, um, my pregnancy was pretty easy. I, I joke that I'm bad at getting pregnant, but good at being pregnant. Hmm. That's great. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, and I, I'm so grateful for that because I was, I was able to, to really enjoy the experience. Um, and I know, you know, that's not true for everyone. There are people who struggle to get pregnant and then have rotten pregnancies. Um, so I'm just really, really grateful that I was lucky enough to have um, an easy one. I yeah. didn't really have morning sickness. Everything went pretty smoothly. We did have one scare um, about 
11 weeks in, um, I started bleeding and cramping and um, thought that was it. I remember sitting on the toilet, hyperventilating, like, this is it. This is, it's over. Um, And rushed in and um, saw an OB. It wasn't even my doctor because I was, it was in that space. I'd been with the fertility clinic until eight weeks and then they release you. And I didn't have my first appointment scheduled with my midwives until 12 weeks. So I was in this sort of, I hadn't, didn't have a provider I was currently seeing. And so I saw this random OB um, at the same clinic and um, they pulled up the ultrasound and everything was fine. Um, and it was a, a subchorionic hemorrhage, which is <laughs> such a scary sounding thing. And it can be a, a scary thing, but in my case, it, it resolved itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I bled for about four weeks, but then everything was fine. And did they recommend you be on bed rest or take it easy or anything? No, not really. I mean, I I stopped running, but other than that, I just kind of went around about my daily life. Um, and it was it was like you know red bleeding that first day, and then after that, it was just like dark, heavy spotting, and mm-hmm. it wasn't quite as intense. And I didn't have any more cramping after that first day. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, there was no. It was just sort of just wait it out. And so I waited it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but other than that, everything went really smoothly. And um, I was with a midwife practice at UCLA and loved all of them and um, went through we did birthing classes. We ended up doing actually private birthing classes um, a long story but that we ended up just having like a class in our home with um a doula which was actually really great um yeah it was really really nice to have like one-on-one talking through everything and having it be really tailored to to our situation and what we wanted and um I'd I've always been kind of fascinated by birth in general um and you know like everybody else I saw the business of being born (laughs) And watched it like 10 more times. Yeah. And, and you've had years to think about birth. Right, exactly. Yeah. And I do think that, you know, going through some of the fertility treatments, which are just so, you know, medical and medical, um, I think that made me even more like, okay, I want to do this naturally. Like, mm. um, I want to just let my body do its thing and you know, try to keep interventions minimal. Um, my mom had all three of, of us kids um, unmedicated. Uh, so I was like, well, if she can do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I actually did not find out until after I'd had my son that she had really quick labors. <laughs> hmm. Which are not necessarily better. They can be yeah, really no, that's intense. True. That's true. Um, yeah. But yeah, she, yeah, I didn't realize <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) she'd had like, you know, pretty quick labors, which was not my experience. Yeah, you Um, had a you had a pretty long I I remember reading that you had a pretty long labor and some start and stop nonsense. Yes. Yes. I, um, I, let's see, my son was 12 days late. um, And for the whole last week, which was 
I don't know. I had no idea how difficult going overdue would be. <laughs> like, an easy pregnancy, but man, that last week, like, I was a mess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the last week I had, I mean, I think every day, he was born on a Saturday, and starting, I think, Tuesday, I, I guess it was actually Monday, because I had... Um, they did a membrane sweep on Monday and I had contractions after that and they stopped. And so every day that week, it was like, I'd have usually in the evening, like several hours of contractions. They were, they were regular, um, you know, not, not so painful that I couldn't go about my business, but significant. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it would just go away and it was really emotionally, um, challenging and I kind of got in this like um yeah I don't know it was hard so on the Friday of that week um they did another membrane sweep I was having non-stress tests and so I went in for that um midwife asked if I wanted another another sweep and I was like sure because I was at that point we'd already had to schedule an induction for Mm -hmm. Sunday Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, you know, anything we can do to get it going. And that was Friday morning and we went to see a movie afterward and during the movie, so like 11 o'clock in the morning, I started having contractions again and they, um, kept going all day. It was like eight minutes apart, like clockwork Mm -hmm. all day. Um, and then... You know, and I started, I was like, okay, well, this has got to be it. Like, <laughs> it's been going on for hours and hours. Like, clearly this is it. Um, and then around 8 o'clock that night, they stopped. Just nothing. And mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I was so mad. <laughs> like, just, yeah. Um, and then, I don't know, an hour or two later, they came back. And it went very quickly. It went from like, oh, they're back to like, oh. <laughs> this is different. <laughs> um, and, you know, we'd wanted to, to you know, I, I wanted to labor at home as long as possible. And I don't know, within two, two or three hours of the contractions coming back, we were on our way into the hospital um, because it pretty quickly got to where I wasn't able to speak during the contractions and they were two or three minutes apart. And it seemed to us, um, first time parents, like it was ramping up really quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we went in and got there 10 or 11 at night and it checked me and I was at four and a half and I was like, okay, well, <laughs> not quite what I had in mind. <laughs> it's better than one. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, and yeah, they, after we did all the, the check-in stuff, they put me in a room and really just kind of left me to myself, which was great. Um, it was just me and my husband in the room all night, you know, every I think every 30 minutes they had a nurse come in and check baby's vitals. Um, but it just went on and, um, 
And were your, your contractions were still intense during that time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely. Were you moving around and trying different yes. positions or? I, for the first, I don't know, a couple hours we were there. It's, it's so hard time-wise because mm-hmm. it all gets so blurry. But I think for the first couple hours I was. Like I was in the shower for a while and um, on the ball. And at some point... I decided to get in bed just to try to get some rest between contractions. And I ended up spending just staying in bed after that. And that's one of those things, like, I kind of wonder, um, like maybe if I'd moved around more, it would have progressed more quickly. Um, but it just, I remember being afraid to move because every time I moved, a contraction would come, mm. <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, yeah. Is now I can I, I can see how that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> but at the time I was like, no, I need a break. Um uh, and you're exhausted. Yeah, yeah. Um so I mostly just stayed in bed and I remember the midwife would come in every, you know, couple of hours and check on me and she'd always say, Have you moved since I last saw you? Hmm. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'd like flip to the other side. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was, I don't know, like, I, mostly I just wanted to be left alone. Like, I wanted to grip my husband's hands during contractions. And he very patiently stood there and let me squeeze the life out of his hands. Um, didn't want to be touched. I put together, like, playlists of music that I thought I would want and... I still think the music might have been nice, but I couldn't take the headphones. Uh, like, the earbuds touching me, I was like, no, can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was, that was the night. Um, there, was one, there was one moment that really sticks out to me. Um, things had gotten pretty intense, and I was starting to just feel kind of panicky. Um, and the midwife came in, and, and she just, she... You know, get, put some, like, pressure on my hips during contractions. It felt really good. But more than that, she just talked to me, and she was mm. like, you know, breathe the baby down. And and it just really brought me back to to breathing, which was um, really how I, how I got through all of it. Um, I do a lot of yoga, and I did a lot of yoga while I was pregnant. And that was just kind of the place I went. Um, I just counted my breaths during contractions. I remember I realized at some point that the peak of the contraction was at three breaths in. So if I could just breathe three times, mm. it would get better. Um, and so that for hours was a big, a big coping thing for me. Just count to three. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just, and she was just able to calm me back down and that made a world of difference. Um, it, yeah just getting my mind back under control and remembering to breathe, um, was enough. So yeah, that was the night. Um, the next morning they checked me. Um, I hadn't been checked since I was admitted and I was at like, I was at a seven and that's progress. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it wasn't where I wanted to be, <laughs> but it was progress. There's a two-digit number I'm wanting to hear. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. Um, 
And then, you know, they did the midwife shift change and a few hours went by and the new midwife, you know, checked me and I was an eight. So I, I don't know how many hours had gone by, but some time had passed. Mm-hmm. Um, and at some point they brought up breaking my water and I was, I was scared of doing that. Um, I, because I felt like it was really intense, but I was managing it. Mm-hmm. And I was afraid if it got more intense, I wouldn't be able to. And so we brought it, they brought it up, and I said no. Um, and then a couple hours later, they brought it up again. Um, and basically, I like made this deal with the midwife. She was like, look, the anesthesiologist is on this floor. If it's too much and you can't take it, you can mm-hmm. still get an epidural. Yeah. Um, and I was like, okay, <laughs> like, that sounds like a good deal. Um, and so she broke my water and it got more intense. But nobody ever mentioned the anesthesiologist again. <laughs> and I didn't ask. So, um, yeah, that, it, it was so funny looking back. But it was just, I just needed to know that I had the option. Totally. Uh, like, I just needed to know that if it was too much, I would have something to do to make it better. Um, and then when it came, I was like, all right, I, I can do this. I'm in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can just keep going. So, yeah, um, I went from eight to complete pretty quickly. Um, I mean, it was maybe an hour. I, I don't think it was any longer than that. It felt really, really fast to me. Mm-hmm. That's good. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, then it was time to push and cool, almost there. Um, but pushing took a long time, too. I pushed for um, about four hours. Ugh. And, you know, it's funny. I remember, like, hearing people talk about pushing for long periods of time, and I just couldn't comprehend, like, how do you, how do, you do that for so long? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's impossible. Um, but. I, I don't know. You just, you just do it. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. what did other you, choice do you have? <laughs> did you experience it as a long time or did it kind of like when it was it, done, were you like, I can't believe that was four hours. Uh, it, it felt like a long time. Yeah. To me. Um, you know, I, and I, and I liked pushing, like it didn't, it wasn't painful to me in the mm. way that the rest of labor had been. Like as long as I pushed for the contractions, they didn't register as pain. It was yeah. intense, but not painful. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it did, it did feel like a long time. <laughs> and um, we got to a point, I mean, and along that, during that time, um, at some point, my contractions slowed down a lot. They were like five minutes apart. Um, and it just felt like, and I know my husband felt like this, like I would like make progress with the push and then just lose it all in that five minutes. Um, and at some point, I don't know how many hours into it, um, the midwife brought up using Pitocin and it's, you know, again, one of those, you don't know till you're in it. Cause I was so scared of that drug. Um, but I knew like something's got to give here. Yeah. <laughs> like we're not getting anywhere. Um, so they gave me a little bit and, um, that helped, you know, I started making a little more progress. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then somewhere around, I don't know, three and a half hours into it. Um, oh, and the other thing that happened during that time was that they, the baby's heart rate in that last hour did start dropping a bit during contractions. Mm-hmm. Um, so they gave me oxygen and, you know, it was just, it, I just felt stuck <laughs> and I was so tired, yeah. like just exhausted. And I remember like thinking, I can't let anyone know how tired I am because, you know, I don't want to have a C-section. I don't want them to think I can't do this, <laughs> which right. obviously they all knew I was tired. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think, yeah, you, you probably weren't fooling them. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought if I didn't say I was tired. Right. They'll never know. <laughs> <But> no. <laughs> um, yeah, so somewhere around three and a half hours in there, a, a new nurse came on and um, the other nurse had been, um, I think she went on a break and this other nurse came on and right after a contraction, I like, I feel her, her hand on my, er, on my forehead and she looked at me and she was like, you know, I know that I'm coming on at a really important moment for you. And I just want you to know I'm here. Like, anything I can do to help you. And she was just such a calming presence. Um, just amazing. And um, yeah, not long after that, um, the midwife was like, okay, we can, we can keep trying this for about 15 more minutes. Um, she was like, you know, we can, if it's not working, we could, page and attending and see about doing, you know, a vacuum assist. Mm. But she said that, you know, the baby's head was so swollen from being stuck right there um, for so long that she wasn't sure they'd be willing to do that. Mm. Um, And she said, you know, then we'll have, if if that's not an option, we'll have to to think about other options. And I don't think she said C-section directly. That was where my mind went. Mm-hmm. Um, later, when I saw her at my six-week checkup, um, she did tell me that she was considering giving me an episiotomy, which they never do. Like, the, the midwife practices, episiotomy rate is so low. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was just, again, something just had to give. So... Anyway, at that point, the nurse who had come on, she was like, okay, well, what positions have you tried? And I ran them through. I, we, we tried everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I tried all fours. I tried like holding onto a bar or like a, you know, like a strap thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and she got me in a really like kind of the classic semi-reclined people holding my feet position. Um, and she suggested um, doing what I'd always heard described as purple pushing, you know, where you like hold your breath to push, which I hadn't been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, you know, having read so many things on on unmedicated birth and, you know, all of the anime Gaskin stuff, like everything, my, my sense had always been that that was not good that that you know wasn't a good way to go that's Um, what they tell you not to do right exactly um but you know I've been doing it for close to four hours so why not try something else yeah (laughs) Yeah. um and for whatever reason for me in that moment that's what worked um Mm -hmm. 
only took a couple of pushes after we kind of switched methods. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's still a weird thing to me because, yeah, that's what they tell you not to do. <laughs> I think it's, you know, it can there can be so many factors and definitely there are physiological factors. But I mean, for me, I've had three babies and I'm like so enamored with the idea of just like breathing the baby out. But I have had yeah. to like push. I've had to do so much crazy directed pushing to get those babies out every time. And it's just what, I don't know, like, I don't, you know, at the end of the day, like you can, you could ask yourself like, well, what was I doing wrong? And I just don't think that that's really the question. Like sometimes that's just what you need to do. Yeah. And I think being an observer, sometimes it's like, it is that one thing that you haven't tried. Like there are so many Mm -hmm. people who would never, ever want to push on hands and knees and I'm watching them and I'm like, you need to try it. I just have a feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's just the movement of getting in a different position helps the baby slip right past. But it's like same kind of thing. They push for two hours and it's like, get on your hands and knees and the baby just comes right out. And you kind of, I mean, I personally (laughs) feel very, very smart, like, (laughs) but I think it has so much more to do with just switching it up and trying something different. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that was it. Well, that was almost it. His head came out, um, mm-hmm. and then there was this really tense moment. Like, I knew his head was out. I see the midwife look at the nurse by my head, and she's, like, page and attending. Um, and, like, it it was terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as the nurse is getting on with the attending, um my midwife worked some kind of midwife magic and there he was, he was out. Um, his shoulder had gotten stuck. Um, and yeah, I'm really, really glad <laughs> she was able to um, get him unstuck without any injury to him. Yeah. He didn't have shoulder dystocia. No, or anything. no, no he great. was fine. Um, he was a big baby. He was nine pounds, 13 ounces. Oh, um, it's big. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, which I think explained for all of us a little bit of why it had been such a challenge to get him out. Absolutely. (laughs) It is the bigger they are, the harder it is. It is a direct Ah. correlation, (laughs) usually. Like, I mean, obviously, I knew it was late, so I didn't expect him to be small, but like, I did not think he was going to be that big. Nobody thought he was going to be that big. Um, And there was a small person. Yeah. Yeah. um, (laughs) I'm tall, but not like broad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And yeah, so that, that sort of explained things a little bit. Um, But yeah, that's, that's my story. I hope that wasn't too detailed and boring. No, (laughs) the details, the details are great. That's where all the magic is. Um, We'd love to hear just a little bit as we're, as we're winding down, we'd love to hear a little bit about what your postpartum period was like. You know, you mentioned yeah. that the the first year with a newborn was harder than right. <laughs> on your relationship than all of the years of infertility treatments. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, it's funny. Um, on one hand, like it was, in some ways, the postpartum period was easier than I expected. I, I think both my husband and I were really bracing for me to have a really difficult time emotionally, mm-hmm. um, given that, you know, I did have that history of, it wasn't you know, diagnosed clinical depression, but I think it, they call it adjustment disorder with depressed mood, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which basically means you're depressed, but there's a specifically specific reason. Yeah. Um, Well, and they're trying to, um, manage things for your insurance providers as well. Right. Right. Um, and so, you know, there was that history 
infertility is something that can be a risk factor for postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. Um, There were, yeah, there were a lot of reasons that we were, I think, both kind of bracing for it to be really difficult. Um, And I, I felt really good. I was really, really happy. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there was the normal little bit of baby blues. Like there were definitely some nights when I was just sitting there crying because I was 3am and I had a screaming newborn, but yeah. But that's, you know, that's obviously part of, part of normal. Um, and it never, never really got to a point where we were even concerned that it might be veering into, you know, postpartum depression or anything like that, mm. um, which I'm, again, really grateful for. Um, yeah, it was, it was a really, a really happy, really intense, but really happy time. Um, I was really lucky in that I was able to take five months of maternity leave. That's great. Um, yeah, my company at the time, they gave, I think they gave three weeks paid, but I had that plus vacation and sick time I'd saved. Plus, we lived in California at the time. And so I was able to take six weeks of short term disability plus six weeks of paid family leave that was mm. paid through the state. Um, not my full paycheck, but better than nothing. Yeah. Um, so that was really good. Like that was just, it was a really good period. Um, I think, I think for my husband and I, it was, it's funny because I think we both kind of, the the two big things that were challenging for us, I think I felt very needy and vulnerable in a way that I'd never felt before. Hmm. Um, I've always been pretty independent. You know, he was in the military. He deployed. I was on my own. Like, we've lived apart for short periods of time for jobs and things. Like, I'm pretty independent. And having a child made me feel really dependent um, mm-hmm. and really vulnerable. Like, I suddenly had this fear, like, well, what if he leaves me? What would I do? Which had never been a thing that scared me before because I I knew we wouldn't leave, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? but there was just this vulnerability that I'd never felt before. Um, and he, meanwhile, was feeling the, I think he was feeling a little trapped. <laughs> like, sure. Not that he wanted to leave, just that he suddenly realized like, oh, like, I think he felt kind of stuck in a way. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, now, now I have to stay. Which, mm-hmm. I mean, we married almost 13 years when we had our son. Like, so it's it's sort of weird that those were like these weird primal things that we both kind of ran up against. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it was just, and maybe part of part of the challenge for us was that we've been married so long and on our own, and so this like the loss of freedom, I think. Hit us yeah. maybe a little bit harder than and it. Autonomy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, um, it was it was a challenging year, but a really good one. It's it's weird to me how I can look at it and see that it was, in many many ways, the happiest year of our lives, um, yeah. while also being one of the most challenging years of our lives. <laughs> um, but yeah. I do see that with couples that have been together for a long time, just that Mm -hmm. that transition can get 
it doesn't always have to be, but it can get harder. Yeah. Just that, just the loss of, you know, how you've always done things. And, right. you know, I have a couple of friends that also, you know, they got, I'm from Canada and people get married pretty young where I'm from too. He said, you got married when you were 21. I was 23 yeah. and I have friends that got married when they were 18 and, you know, started having mm-hmm. kids immediately. And it right. feels to me like the younger those people had kids, like the less of an adjustment it was for their marriage in some yeah. ways. And I'm not suggesting at all to anyone that <laughs> has kids young or early in their marriage that it's not hard or not an adjustment. Yeah. Please right. don't hear that. I just think that you don't have, like you said, like over a decade of like, this is how we do our life and this right. is how we spend our weekends. And this is like when yep. we go on a vacation, this is how we do it. And, you know, yeah. there's all those things that you're so used to. Just so many rhythms. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for sharing your story with us. It's beautiful. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mother Birth today. If you want to be a bigger part of our community, you can follow us on Instagram at motherbirth.co or connect with us on Facebook, where we have all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff going on. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show and rate us in iTunes, which allows other people to find us and helps the show to grow. I think it goes without saying, but Mother Birth is a personal podcast created by Lara and Lisa. It's intended as general information. It doesn't constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care. If you're pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period.